You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 965 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Tuesday evening into Wednesday. And today's show is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the Locker Room app from the iOS app store or find one of our Locked On rooms. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. Today's podcast will mostly focus on what became a 123-107 victory for the Hawks over the Pelicans on Tuesday at State Farm Arena. A very nice win for Atlanta. It's definitely going to be best known for the third quarter explosion that the Hawks had, making all 11, yes, 11 three-pointers in the quarter. They made their first 11 threes in the second half. Just a crazy barrage coming out of the locker room, and that was enough to get the Hawks this win. This is their fourth straight win overall, their seventh straight win at home, and they've not lost at home since February the 13th. Now, obviously, they haven't played a ton at home recently. They had the very long road trip and the All-Star break and all that stuff, but still... A lot of success recently for the Hawks, and with that said, they're now in sole possession of the fourth spot in the East as of this recording on Tuesday, so a very, very positive night for Atlanta overall. Uh, Before we dive into the game, as always, uh, some pregame injury stuff to hit on. Uh, Nate McMillan talked to the media on Monday, actually, about some injury stuff. He got kind of a standard question about injury updates and kind of surprisingly revealed that DeAndre Hunter was about to have a procedure of some kind on his knee and that there would be an update coming from there. As a peek behind the curtain, that's not usually what happens. (laughs) Usually the Hawks are pretty good about just announcing what they want to announce and not having a ton of surprises on those coach reveals. But that happened in this case. Definitely caught me off guard, to be sure. But then McMillan got a follow-up after that and sort of downplayed the injury in terms of his long-term nature. Uh, Obviously, they're hoping for short-term and have it sort of not be as serious as they thought. He said it was. uh, he absolutely thinks that Hunter will be back this season, for instance and uh, kind of might just not be available for the next couple of games. Then from there, the Hawks announced on Monday that Hunter is gonna, that Hunter did have, I should say, a non-surgical procedure on his knee. And then after three days of what they described as, quote, unloading, end quote, he could return to activity later on this week. So, you know, procedure, sort of the alarm, ball, the alarm bells go off, but at the same time, uh, they're saying all the right things that he could be back pretty soon. So we'll see what happens there. There's no timetable, crucially, at this point in time. So we're all guessing. It's not ideal, to be sure. He's missed now seven games in a row, and has actually missed 30 of the last 32 games, so that's not ideal in any way, shape, or form. Um, Travis Schlenk, by the way, said on Tuesday morning, as part of his radio interview with 92 on the game, that um, Hunter does not have any pain, just the swelling in the knee. That's a pretty good sign, I think, overall. Um, and again, no timetable at this point. Um, McMillan actually said that Collins is a little bit further out, is the quote from McMillan earlier today than Hunter. So that's actually interesting from what you would expect. Um, but So I guess Hunter projects to come back first, but no, no specifics beyond that for either one. They're, they're going to be out for a little while longer. Collins can be reviewed later on this week. So that's what I have on those two guys. And then Chris Dunn, there was an update a little bit from McMillan. McMillan said on Monday that he practiced and was ramping up activity a little bit. Schlenk then said on 92.9 on Tuesday that Dunn played full court on Monday for the first time since the surgery, and they want to have him scrimmage a little bit more before he returns, but he seems to be getting closer. Obviously, famous last words there for a guy who's not played this season, but it seems like he's as close as he's been in a long time to playing basketball, so that's a positive sign. Other than the Hunter and Dunn and Collins news, and Cam Radish is still out as well, um, the Hawks had click a pellet on the injury report with right hand soreness, ended up playing. That was not a concern for him, I don't think. On the Pelican side in this game, 
Zion did play after missing the game last week, as did Stephen Adams, but they still don't have Brandon Ingram, um, Josh Hart, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, or Kyra Lewis, so they're pretty short-handed. Uh, I will say this, broadly speaking about the Pelicans, New Orleans entered this game as the third-worst defensive team in the NBA, and it absolutely was on full display in this game. The Hawks played very well uh, in their own right. I should say that again. The Hawks played well, but the Pelicans defensively were kind of embarrassingly bad, I thought, throughout this game. So that's at least in some important context. And before we dive in, our friends at Bellalana AG had the Hawks favored by three and a half points at tip-off, which they obviously covered with flying colors. So, all right, we'll dive in now to what transpired and the first half... Again, not incredibly impressive from Atlanta. In fact, David Millen, after the game, mentioned kind of unprompted a couple times that he was not uh, thrilled with the defense, especially in the first half. They allowed 61 points before halftime and ended up being tied as a result of that. But we'll dive in sort of the uh, more nuts and bolts stuff here. Um, they started Solomon Hill at the four for the second straight, actually third straight game, I, should, I think, I believe it was. Um, but they had him on Zion Williamson. You know, the Hawks don't really have answers for Zion. No one really does, but especially without Collins and even Hunter, they don't have a ton of options to put on Zion Williamson. So you go you go with Solomon Hill. That was probably the most logical option one-on-one. No one's going to stop Zion. He had 34 points, but they did okay enough holding him down, and that was at least enough in this game. Um, good start for Trey Young right out of the gate. It was good to see him making some shots. He's been struggling a little bit with his jumper and some efficiency stuff recently, but no such concerns. In this game, he made his first two threes in about the first two minutes. Bogdanovich made his first one as well. They were 3-3 three three from three-point range in the, in the opening minutes. Defensively, it was it was kind of funny. Um, the first six minutes of this game, it was all offense. It was 19-17 to 17 in favor of the Pelicans. The Hawks were 7-11 from the floor and losing because they couldn't get stops. But then as soon as the benches came in, it was a slog again, like kind of right away. Um, they went to a similar rotation, the Hawks did. On Tuesday, as they did on Sunday, it was a nine-man rotation. Same sort of stuff. It was Gallinari and Snell first, then Lou Williams with Trey Young for a little bit, and then Lou as the backup point guard. And then when Trey came out, it was Kevin Herter back in. So they stay with nine until the garbage time in this game again. I'm not sure if that's like a full-fledged change. And obviously, when you get Hunter back, when you get Collins back, um, McMillan even said kind of you know openly today, that when they're healthy, guys are going to have to play less or not play at all. And that's kind of the reality here. But from now... They have a nightman group that they seem to like, um, especially with uh, sort of Lou Williams unlocking a couple of different things along the way. So other than that, in the first quarter, um, there was one, you know, kind of shaky play by Akongwu as a release valve off of a trap. He ended up throwing the ball away, but he did have a, a nice block shot after that on the next trip down. Actually, had two block shots in the first quarter. And when the, bench was on, when the bench was out there and Zion was on the court, they had no one to guard him, truly. They had Gallinari guarding him at one point, which is obviously pretty funny. They had a switch in which Lou had to guard him a couple times. They played some zone. Uh, they tried everything. And, you know, what are you going to do? Um, but both teams basically stopped scoring late in the first quarter. Ended up being down 29-25, to the Hawks did, after the first quarter, despite tr- uh, 10 points and 5 assists from Troy Young. Um, and in the f- second quarter, this is kind of lost to time, I think, at this point. The Hawks trailed by 13 in the second quarter. It was a 13-4 to run by the Pelicans to open up the second to go up 42-29. It was pretty bad from the bench in that stretch. Um, kind of low effort, low, low energy. I think that's what McMillan was kind of referencing in a lot of ways. Like it was not There was not a lot of resistance happening there early in the second quarter. But then Gallinari got heated up, and that was uh, quite helpful to the cause. Um, Gallinari had eight straight points right after that, giving him the boost. And then they got some stops, Trey scores, and then Gallinari hits another three. So Gallinari had, a, had 14 points in about four minutes of clock time. 
and that kind of helped the Hawks to get back from down in a pretty ugly uh, ugly position into you know basically tied within just a few minutes. Um, and then it kept coming from there. Um, Trey Young had a step back three, and they got two pretty easy layups or floaters, uh, at least in that range, to go up. Um, so they kind of erased the lead pretty quickly. It was a 20-4 to run by Atlanta between Gallinari, Trey, and Bogdanovich hitting a three before the Pelicans call timeout. So they go down by as many as 13, and then suddenly they're up, um, and they kind of never trailed from that point forward. Lots of back and forth, back and forth, but um, that was they, they erased the deficit and then took control from there. They got some stops. Um, ended, up going, ended up going in the locker room tied, as I said before. The Hawks shot the ball well before halftime. 51% from the floor, 8 of 13 from three. Um, and we're still tied because defensively it wasn't great. Um, Trey had 19 points in the first half, by the way, and Gallagher had, this, had all those 14 points. But the Pelicans dominated the class before halftime and actually got more free throws. McMillan said, and I'm quoting here, that the Hawks, pl- quote, played soft, end quote, defensively in the first half. And also he said, offensively, he mentioned like Bogdanovich as, a, as an example of this, but they had some hesitancy offensively, turned down some shots. But um, from there, that was kind of all that <laughs> the rest of the game was obviously pretty positive. Um, we'll get into the third quarter insanity momentarily, and I promise you it was absolutely insane. If you didn't watch this game, the third quarter was uh, was lava, basically, for the Hawks. Before we get to that, a word from our sponsor on the podcast today, and the first of which is Locker Room. Locker Room is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or your favorite sport. Locker Room is a perfect place to start and join conversations about the league, and you'll find fans just like you in Locker Room for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, of course, reacting to all the biggest news and rumors. You can even find lots on hosts across MLB, NBA, and the NHL, including some of our big-name folks. In fact, I know for a fact the Hollinger Duncan podcast has been on there, um, recording live and then sharing that on their podcast platform. All kinds of our hosts are up and down the channels. You can find them in the Locked On rooms, and you definitely should go ahead and check that out now. In fact... Go download the free Locker Room app, currently available on all iOS devices, and be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join any of the conversations about the NFL, MLB, and NHL, in addition to the NBA, for all the latest league updates. I know you'll find incredible rooms about your favorite teams in your leagues, and I'll be sure to let you know once there are even more rooms going on for the Locked On team. Download the Locker Room app today. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. Today's show is also brought to you by rockauto.com. One key reason to repair and maintain your own car is to save money. You can use for other important things like paying the mortgage or paying for food or whatever else you want to use it for. And honestly, why would you want to pay more money for the exact same auto parts at a chain store or a new car dealership when you instead can use rockauto.com? rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything you need from engine control modules and brake pads to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet, whether it's for your classic car or your daily driver. Get everything you need, just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. And best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always low and they're always the same for pros and do-it-yourselfers, so why spend twice as much for the exact same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or your truck. When you get there, you want to write locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com All right, so the third quarter, as I said before the break, uh, was just crazy. And that's not a bad thing for the Hawks in this case. Obviously, you don't see this every day, but it was a very successful quarter very easily. Um, the Pelicans actually, actually scored first in the third, but then the Hawks went on an 8-0 run to go up by 5. Um, at that point, they were 11-16 of 16 from 3 for the game. Um, that was pretty quickly. 
Um, there was a funny moment early in the third quarter but when Kevin Herter got sort of in a pivot move and Zion Williamson fell. Uh, that was kind of funny. There was lots of laughter around that performance. Um, but then Bogdanovich got hot. He hit two threes and actually had a personal 8-0 run to get the Hawks their largest lead of the night at 85-73 with six minutes to go in the third. And they didn't even pretend to slow down from there. Herter hits a three. Trey Young hits two threes in a row, including one that was from the logo. Had to be 36-footer. It was just a ridiculous <laughs> attempt. And then Herter hits another one. And, you know, the ball comes basically rolling down the hill from that point forward. So the Hawks finish 11 of 11 from three in the quarter to give themselves a 107 to 90 lead after three quarters. So 107 points through three quarters is crazy in itself. Pre-ESPN stats and info, the Hawks again, first team in NBA history to go 11-11 from three in a quarter. Um, three threes each for Herder, Bogdanovich, and Trey Young in the quarter. So those three guys can combine to make nine of nine, and then one for Solomon Hill, one for Lou Williams. The previous record for most threes in a quarter without a miss was nine by the Cavs against the Hawks in 2014, which is pretty crazy. The Hawks scored 46 points in the quarter while shooting only four of nine on twos. <laughs> uh, it's all kind of just hilarious. The second highest scoring quarter in franchise history for Atlanta with 46 points. So, I mean, all right, I'll, I'll just say this. As an analyst, this is kind of a weird one to talk about. Not in a bad way, but just kind of weird. Obviously, you have to be really good to make 11 threes in a row. And these guys are all good shooters. You know, obviously, you know, Solomon Hill's not the greatest shooter in the world, but um, Herder, Bogdanovich, Trey Young, all obviously quite talented. Luis makes one as well. Uh, the Pelicans also just did not really contest well. I, I will say they were at a sub-NBA level contesting for most of the game. So it's a combination of really bad defense and also like red-hot shot-making, and that's how you get to 11-11 from three in a quarter. So just kind of a barrage. 46 points is crazy in itself. The Hawks gave up 29 points and five threes in the third and won the quarter by 17 <laughs> won the quarter by 17 points. So I'm not even sure what to say about it. It was a history-making performance in the third. It broke the game open. It's why the Hawks won. Because honestly, the other three quarters, they were tied at the half, and the fourth, which was admittedly garbage time, it was not an impressive performance from the Hawks overall, I didn't think. Like it wasn't terrible either. But if you took the third quarter away, which you obviously cannot do. But the Hawks didn't play all that well for the other three quarters. But when you come out and score 46 points in a quarter and make 11 threes, nothing else matters. So there you go. Um, hilariously, after the third, the two teams that just could not stop scoring before this, it was 8-8 eight to eight in the fourth quarter for about seven minutes. There was just not a lot of going on. Uh, Pelicans never made a run. I thought they might make one more push. They just kind of never did. And uh, it was kind of a slog, honestly. But that was fine with the Hawks for the, with their big lead. And they finally called timeout with 3.30 to go to get the bench into the game with um, Brandon Goodwin, Scott Mays, Nathan Knight coming in, Fernando from there. It's pretty funny to see the Hawks score 16 points in the fourth quarter after 46 in the third. In fact, the Hawks shot five of, sorry, 6 of 22 from the floor and 1 of 7 from 3 in the fourth quarter and still finished at 51% from the floor and 64.5% from 3. They had a 1 for 7 quarter on threes, and they finished 20 of 31. <laughs> so, yeah, an awesome shooting night. That's very clear. It's the same thing I would say about the entire game, as I said about the third quarter. Like, there was some really bad defense going on from the Pelicans, but the Hawks still played well enough and took advantage. And obviously, when, when Bogdanovich and Gallinari are both cooking at the same time, the Hawks are impossible to guard, basically. Especially when Trey has has his whole package going, which he did 
in this game. Like, the weapons are just too good. And uh, even against a good defense, I'm sure they would have had some success in this game. But the uh, basically, the, the four um, starters that played together the most, Young, Bogdanovich, Capella, and Solomon Hill, were all plus 26 or better. And uh, the bench was not, like, hugely in the positive. In fact, there were some guys who were in the negative. So it was that, that barrage that won the Hawks the game. And there you go. Um, it was not a franchise record for threes for the game. Actually, that was set earlier this season with 23 when Gallinari went crazy against Boston. But the Hawks did make 23s. That stands on its own. They shot well from the floor, 50%. Only 11 turnovers. That's pretty good for a full game. Um, 24 assists was not, like, out of this world, but they didn't, they didn't need to in this game. Got to the line 22 times. You know, offensively, they put together about a 1.27 points per possession, which is obviously really good. Uh, it's maybe not as good as you might think, given how well they shot, because they actually ended up losing the rebounding battle and uh, the free throw battle, both, which kind of limits how dominant you can be. But when you shoot like that, it doesn't matter. Um, other than that, that's kind of where we'll leave it on offense. Uh, defensively, it was not incredible by Atlanta, um, but Zion was the only guy that really kind of beat them up a little bit. Jackson has had some moments off the bench. Um, Lonzo Ball was at one point, I believe, yeah, one of 10 from the floor, one of nine from three. So he actually made three of his last four from long range, but he was not great as a shooter in this game. He actually had some nice moments. I thought Zion, um, Lonzo's passing was kind of exceptional at times. But um, other than uh, there was one Isaiah Thomas run, the Hawks didn't have too much trouble with anybody other than Zion throughout this game. So they ended up holding them to about 1.1 points per, points per possession, which is about where they where the Pelicans average. So it wasn't like dominant. And again, McMillan was kind of funny after the game was asked uh, two different times, basically about his, his thoughts on the third quarter. And he basically referenced the fact that he, he didn't know that the Hawks were as hot as they were as a shooting team because he was kind of, um, I'm not sure what the wording he used was, but focused or perturbed or something like that on the defense from the first half and beyond. So he was not even aware that they were as hot as they were in the third quarter. And that kind of tells you where McMillan's head's at most of that time. So anyway, it was a good performance. That goes without saying when you win by double figures in the NBA against almost anyone. And uh, there you go. As for the standings, as I mentioned before, the Heat lost tonight to Memphis. So the Hawks are now in sole position of fourth place as the as I'm recording here, the gap is still, you know, fairly small. And, you know, I'm on record as not really believing, believing in Miami. So I'm not sure if I'd go as far as to say the Hawks are the favorite for the four seed, but that's not a crazy thought anymore. Let's just say that, the, you know, when you're 20, 50, 51 games in to a 72 game season, you're in fourth place and you have done this without like an incredible bill of health by any means. Uh, the Hawks have done a great job. So we'll leave it there for now on the team side, but more to come on the individuals and the way that they played in this game, as well as um, some quick thoughts on the ESPN, um, I would say controversial, 25 or 25 list that happened on, on Tuesday. But first, a word from our sponsors on the podcast, and the first of which is betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Football is not happening right now, and I understand that's a lot of people's favorite thing to bet on in the sports world, but there are plenty of other options, including the NBA, of course. You have the NHL, auto racing, golf, tennis, MMA, college sports, everything you can imagine, you can find it at betonline.ag. And BetOnline even covers awards, entertainment bets, TV shows, and reality TV. 
BetOnline also has real-time updated odds and all kinds of props on almost anything you can imagine. Props are really fun to get into the sports betting world if you've not tried it before. And on top of that, BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and the odds that you need. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website now at betonline.ag or use mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit if you use the promo code Locked On. That is 50% and a welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use the promo code Locked On at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Okay, and we'll wrap up the show with some individual breakdowns, then we get into the ESPN list at the end. Um, I mentioned this before, but a nightmare rotation from the Hawks again in this game for the competitive portion. There were four guys that played just in garbage time. Nathan Knight, Bruno Fernando, Brandon Goodwin, and Skylar Mays. No real thoughts there. It was uh, non-competitive basketball at that point. Um, the one guy who struggled off the bench was Tony Snell, actually, who we are, uh, I would say we are, we enjoy on this podcast, but he was 0-4 from the floor, 0-1 from 3 in this game. A couple of defensive breakdowns as well from Tony. The first half in particular was probably the worst he's played this year that I've seen, at least in a, in a full half. So, um, you know, it doesn't really matter because they won this game comfortably, but I want to at least mention that. Uh, he, he did keep his free throw streak alive. He actually got fouled on a three-point attempt, made all three. So there was some drama there with regard to the two-plus-year streak, but he made them all and uh, shots Tony Snell. Um, the other three guys off the bench, Lou Williams, Onyeke Kongwu, and then Danilo Gaminari. Lou Williams was uh, not incredible either in the first half, but was better in the second half, as most guys were. 12 points, two assists, three rebounds. They had two steals, five straight from the floor, and two of two from three because everyone was two of two from three. By the way, how's this? The Hawks finished the night with 20 of 31 from three, and the NBA's leading three-point shooter, Tony Snell, 0 of 1. <laughs> kind of a crazy uh, confluence of events. Anyway, Akongwu, um, seven points, three rebounds, had two blocks and a steal. He was not fantastic. He had some foul trouble. Um... I think physical, like physicality-wise, it's a tough matchup for him to play against Steven Adams right now, just physical strength-wise, and Zion's, of course, difficult. But a couple of nice flashes, a couple of nice blocks, um, some pretty good walling up around the rim. He was okay. I don't think he was particularly good, but it was uh, not a negative uh, performance from Okongwu. And then Gallinari, honestly, pretty much all he did in this game was that one stretch. As I said before, he had 14 points in four minutes. He finished the game with 14 points. So they needed it. I mean, if nothing else, Gallinari should be credited for kind of getting the Hawks going because they were down 13. They had nothing going positively other than Trey Young was playing well at that point. But Gallo just kind of put, put them on, on, on his back a little bit. And he's capable of that. That's one of the reasons why you like Gallo is that he can give you a quarter or a half even of just like dominant offensive play. And that was his one stretch in this game. And it worked out very well. Um, to the starters, you know, f- five guys who all played reasonably well. Um, Solomon Hill was the quietest offensively, but had had a pretty good uh, sort of across-the-board game. Five points, nine rebounds, three assists, two steals, plus 29, which is crazy. He was one of the threes in the third quarter, but uh, did a decent job on Zion, I thought, as much as you could ask him to do. And I think that overall, Hill was just fine. No one's going to stop Zion, so um, the, the jokes were flying before the game even started because was, he was obviously going to guard him at some point. And uh, he, he did okay. Honestly, on the roster, he's probably the best option in a, in a non-John Collins availability world because Solomon Hill was like sort of old man strong and stocky and smart. So throw him on there and see what happens, and it was fine. Um, Kevin Herter was not great early and then got hot like everybody else did. 17 points, three rebounds, uh, two assists, three fouls, plus, plus four, though, because he, he was off the court for the, for the massive barrage, or at least part of that massive barrage. 
Um, and then also he was on, he was on the bench in the first half when they were not playing well. So comes and goes, but seven left from the four and three of four from three, uh, including, I believe all three of his were in the third quarter, which was the, uh, the big, the big, the big barrage anyway. So there you go. Kevin Herter, not, not his best, not his worst and contributed to the massive three point shooting output. Um, Clay Capella, a relatively quiet game because he, you know, the shooting was the, was the star, and he was not a shooter, of course. But 12 points, 12 rebounds, three blocks, including one really big one, kind of a monster block on Zion that was a highlight-level play. And I thought Clint was good. Uh, obviously, dealing with Adams is tougher than when the previous matchup that the Hawks had against the Pelicans last week and all, trying to contain Zion. But I think Clint played fine. He wasn't he wasn't dominant, necessarily. A couple of nice plays and five offensive, five offensive rebounds. He did lots of compel stuff. In this game, and also a good piece to I would recommend reading from Kevin Chenard of Hawks.com. I hate when I compliment Kevin, who's obviously in front of the podcast, but uh, that was a good one that was out there on Click Capella, so that's uh, available to read on Tuesday into Wednesday. And then Young and Bogdanovich were just cooking the entire game, really, especially for Young. So we'll save him for the end. Bogdanovich, 21 points, four assists, four rebounds, plus 29, eight of 11 from the floor, and five of eight from three. <laughs> As I said before, a guy who has 21 points on 11 shots. Super efficient. McMillan actually wanted him to shoot more in the first half, but no complaints. He was, uh, again, quite good, and he's been very, very good the last several weeks. Uh, and then Trey Young, who was honestly awesome from the downbeat in this one. Um, I'm not sure if he heard, if he heard some of the noise and had some motivation from the ESPN piece. I'm kind of kidding, but I'm also kind of not. Um, 30 points, 12 assists. Got to take the night off a little bit early at the end of the night. Um, 10 of 21 from the field is actually not incredible. He was actually 4 of 14 on twos. That's not what you want. But six or seven on threes, so what are you going to do? And four of six from the free throw line. I actually, actually missed both on one trip, which is uh, sort of an outlier for him. But I thought he was obviously you know in full control. The passing was really good from the out, from the outset. He was. Uh, they had no answers. The Pelicans defense had no answers at all for Trey Young throughout the game. So we'll leave it there for now. But lots of positives, uh, not not a ton of negatives, and that's what happens when you win by a comfortable margin. Last thing is the aforementioned ESPN list. Uh, the trio of Mike Schmitz. Kevin Pelton, who's been on this podcast before, and Bobby Marks um, combined to do their annual top 25 under 25 list in the NBA. Um, an important caveat here is that it's supposed to be designed for long-term potential, not current play, which is uh, I think got lost a little bit on the way. But this is not a great list, I'll say that. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll focus on only the Hawks stuff, but there was stuff that was beyond the Hawks stuff that I didn't really understand on this list. But the headliner was that Trey Young fell from number eight on this list last year to number 16 this year. I was actually not surprised that Trey fell. I thought he might, when I heard this was coming out, they were actually in a podcast promoting it on Monday. I thought he might fall. Um, this was further than I thought. And I think it's bad. I think he is pretty solidly underranked here. Um, there's this narrative, whatever the narrative is. I, I think that Trey is now underrated um, nationally. And I think that's definitely been the case this season. Um, I'm not going to do the entire, like, half hour breakdown on this but I think for instance the two guys that I really don't understand at all being ahead of Trey Young on this list are Brandon Ingram and Michael Porter Jr. Uh, Porter Jr. is the one that I, I just don't think is even like remotely defensible and I think uh, Young is a lot better than Ingram as well those two I mean there there are others that I would have certainly I would have ahead of Trey uh, sorry I would have Trey ahead of but those are the two that I think are just like indefensible that are both ahead of Trey on the list 
Um, there's some other guards that are on there that I think Hawks fans are definitely not happy about. Um, De'Aaron Fox was uh, number six, so 10 spots ahead of him. I'm not even sure that I would have Fox. I think I might have Trey over Fox, who I like. And then Shigeru Alexander is the guy who's in the same draft class that those guys have been linked together for a long time. So that one, that one surprised me less, but still, uh, he's under, he's underranked. It, it's a, that's the only way around it. He's, he's just too low. I think he's underrated uh, right now. And that was evident here. Um, elsewhere on the list, John Collins actually went up from 24 last year to 22 this year. I actually have him a little bit higher than that. Um, but I think that John is kind of underrated too. And always kind of has been at least the last couple of years. Um, nothing egregious though. I think him, him being 22 is like not, not too bad. I don't think. And then a couple of people asked me why DeAndre Hunter did not make the list. You know, I'll just say this. Hunter has not played enough at the, at the level that he was playing before the injury to kind of get the attention nationally. I think people that have seen him locally as I have, as a lot of Hawks fans have, um, if they watched that stretch before the injury, you would think that guy is a guy that should be on this list. And I actually would say you're correct, but he just hasn't played as, as much with that, obviously missing most of the, you know, more than half the season at this point. And also last year, it was not necessarily fantastic either. So he'll get there eventually. If he's playing that way again, it, it'll pop up next year. But for now, it is just young and Collins on the list. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to get too mad about it. It was a, um, pretty maligned list across NBA circles, not even just Hawk stuff. Obviously Trey was one of the more um, flashing examples of the weirdness there. Cause he, him falling that far and being underranked is a big deal. But um, you know, at the end of the day, does this matter? No, it does not, but it's, it's, it's a thought starter. People are asking me. So I always wanted to address it briefly at the end of the podcast. All right. Uh, the Hawks return to action on Wednesday, a home back to back. The Grizzlies come to town. The Grizzlies who just beat the heat on Tuesday to do the Hawks a favor in the standings. Um, so back back for both teams. Obviously, Atlanta gets to stay in their own bed, and Memphis has to travel, so that's a slight advantage for the Hawks in this spot. And the Grizzlies are pretty solid, but they're not great. So I think the Hawks, as long as everybody plays, that's expected to play. So obviously no Hunter and no Collins. We think no, the official injury report will not come out until Wednesday afternoon, but we assume no Hunter, no Collins. Um, if, if everybody else plays, I think the Hawks will be favored um, at home in this game, but not by a ton. So that'll be a good chance to have them get... Another win, they'll be aiming for five in a row and eight in a row at home, and uh, we'll have a new podcast after the game. So please subscribe to the show. Please tell your friends about the podcast, rate, review, all that fun stuff, and we'll see you after the game on Wednesday.